Are you a Hawkeye fan living in Story County? Well, if you are, great. If not, we've still got you covered. Introducing From the Hawkeye of the Storm, your source for original Iowa content. From the Eye of the Storm, the Hawkeye of the Storm, Ames, Iowa. That's right. Our Hawkeye platform, hosted by StoryCounty.News, strives to offer a unique perspective that you won't find anywhere else. Despite living amid the sea of red that is Cyclone Country, we make it our aim to entertain and inform Hawkeye fans everywhere. From live programming following an Iowa athletic event to our on-demand podcast, Brada's Branded Thoughts, which you can access through YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Anchor, Amazon, and more, our goal is to always offer cutting-edge black and gold content. In addition, catch our weekly college football picks throughout the season as you get prepped for the weekend ahead. And the great thing about all of our content is it's all free. Join us regularly here at From the Hawkeye of the Storm and be sure to subscribe to our sister channel, Iowa Football at the Voice of College Football. That's Iowa Football at the Voice of College Football on YouTube as we have teamed up with Mark Rogers and former Iowa football assistant coach Don Patterson to bring you live post-game shows after every Iowa football game. Watch, chat, and even call in to let your voice be heard each and every weekend this fall. Want to learn how you can further support us? Visit our video description on each and every YouTube video we publish, and then, of course, enjoy the content. It's From the Hawkeye of the Storm, hosted by StoryCounty.News, for the best Hawkeye content in the area. Week 183 of Brad's Branded Thoughts here at From the Hawkeye of the Storm. I'm joined by a familiar face for our listeners who have uh, clamored over to Iowa at the Voice of College Football on YouTube and listened to our post game with Coach Don Patterson throughout the season. We are pleased to have him on our podcast here this week. And Coach Don, it's been a heck of a ride to get to 10-2 and and, and to be West champions. I know we talked for over three hours Saturday night and with our callers. But uh, how does it feel now, a few days removed from uh, Minnesota's win over uh, Wisconsin, to know that uh, Iowa is playing for a Big Ten title on Saturday? Feels pretty good, doesn't it? We were in a very celebratory mood on Saturday night, and rightfully so. Uh, I think the players and coaches have a lot to be proud of. And I mentioned to Kirk today, I was at practice today, and I said, I told people weeks ago when we had our back-to-back losses, I said, Kirk will react. I promise he will not overreact. You know, we'll correct our mistakes as best we can, and we'll move on, and we'll never lose sight of the fact that it's a long race. And you got to just persevere even when times are tough because all teams go through that at one time or another. And I think you'd have to say we weathered our tough times pretty well. Absolutely. And for anybody who listened to our postgame, or our, it wasn't really a postgame, it was kind of a celebration special on Saturday night. We, we just we did. We, we kind of just took the moment to take it all in, and we took a lot of phone calls, a lot of chats. This next 45 minutes or so, Don, this is pure substance. So for anybody who was watching that show and, and, and was thinking, where's the breakdown of Iowa-Michigan? Well, here it is. So I first want to start with this, Don. We're, we'll talk about Michigan and, and how Iowa matches up, and I know you have some analytics that you can share with us, some, of course, that you're not going to get into until post-game because you've uh, you've divulged those to Coach Ferentz. But I, I went back and just crunched a few simple numbers. I didn't do the the type of work you do, of course, uh, from an analytical standpoint. But, of course, Iowa, um, you know, the concern from most fans this week is how does Iowa match up with the likes of Aiden Hutchinson and that impressive Michigan front? Um, certainly, Iowa's offense has been underwhelming all year. That's been well-documented. There's no, there's no hiding that. 
They averaged 25.7 points per game as a team. That's Iowa in general. But keep in mind, those are skewed because, as you and I both know, um, that's an indication of how many points are scored as a team, but not how many points your offense scores. Right. The offense, if you just look at the offensive numbers, Don, and I'm talking about direct offensive scores. So that includes if the defense were to turn uh, their, their opponent over inside their own five, and the offense punches it in for a four-yard run, that's technically an offensive score. So I'm taking those into account. But even if you take those into account, Don, if you throw out every defensive or special team score, Iowa's only averaging 21.8 points per game. To me, now you may say that's, that's, less, that's right around four points less per game. That's significant, which tells me that special teams and defense, we've said it all year, how big those two units have been for Iowa's success. So... Let's just dive into it. How does Iowa move the ball against this Michigan defense? Well, I think the first thing we have to recognize, and I just finished looking at the game again. I'm talking about Michigan-Ohio State, Corey. I think one reason Michigan won is because Ohio State could not match their physicality. Michigan was the more physical team. Um, That doesn't concern me. It concerns me a little bit because we pride ourselves in in our physical play also. Uh, I saw – Ohio State being um, victimized up the middle, a lot like we victimize people up the middle uh, as well. So I think um, we're going to get tested inside, and they're going to get tested inside because I like the way we run the ball inside with our guards in our center, of course, our All-American center. Um, So it's going to be – the first thing we have to do is match their physicality, and that will be a challenge to do that because they're a very physical team. So – we need to play our most physical game of the season. And that simply means not getting driven off the ball, you know, holding your ground on offense, being able to maybe play with a little lower pad level and get a little more movement up front, get a little larger seam for our backs to get through. It means, of course, there's some, there's some finesse aspects to it. Also, it means being able to pass protect. And of course, one problem when you're pass protecting, you can't afford to get overextended. You have to try to keep your weight back. Uh, but the, the challenge there is a, a guy like Hutchinson is a big physical guy. So some of the time, of course, he just bull rushes you in. In those situations, you have no choice but to get your weight down to be able to counter the, the, the physical move right that he's trying to run right through your body. So it's going to be a challenge for our tackles. I think we're going to have to give them some help from time to time. It'll either be a tight end, maybe blocking full time, or at the very least chipping on chipping on both those defensive ends, especially Hutchinson. Uh, and beyond that, the backs are going to have to help out and, and chip also some, some, sometimes on the, on the edge rushers. Uh, another aspect of dealing with that, of course, is avoid third and long. We just need to be efficient on first and second down so that we don't have too many of those third and longs. I, I did notice, I think they're a little vulnerable to screen passes. I know that Clatt mentioned it. Is his name Clatt? Is that the c- color guy for the game? Yes. Yep. Yeah, he, he's very good. The analyst mentioned that that Michigan had been victimized throughout the year uh, on some screen passes, and that only makes sense, of course, because they got a pretty ferocious pass rush. So one way to counter that, of course, to, is to run screens, and for that matter, maybe to run draws. We haven't really run many draw plays this year, but our screen game has been pretty good to us, and I would expect that you're going to see any number of screens uh, out of us on Saturday. Uh, but it all starts with just being able to match the physicality. Beyond that, a simple parameter that's I don't mind sharing with you because it's it's um, even knowledgeable maybe to the average fan. Uh, 
turnover margin, as you know, Corey, is very important in any game. In this league especially, it's important. So just going back and addressing that one parameter that I am willing to talk about, turnover margin um, this year, the team that won on turnovers, I'm looking at Michigan's 12-game schedule. The team that won on turnovers won six out of seven games. There were five ties on turnovers, um, but of those other seven games, uh, Michigan won six. Um, incidentally, the funny thing of it all, the one team that beat them on turnovers was Ohio State, and Ohio State lost. That's the one exception. So in that regard, every time – think of it this way. Every time Michigan has won on turnovers, they've won the game. So it is imperative, and we don't want to be even. Uh, and I mentioned I – mean, I don't mind sharing this. I mentioned to Kirk, I said, I don't know that plus one is going to get it done. You might need to have a goal of being plus two because Ohio State was plus one and still lost. So I think a safer route, if we could pull it off, of course, is to find a way to be plus two on turnovers. At the very least, we need to win on turnovers. Maybe plus one's good enough. Uh, to be on the safe side, I'd rather have plus two. I'll say this, and I we t- spoke with Mark Rogers uh, over at the uh, Iowa Channel on Tuesday and spoke with a, a, a Michigan guy that he's got on his show. One of the things that is is sort of a narrative this week is people, a lot of people, and I think this falls right into what Iowa wants, a lot of people are saying Iowa Matt doesn't have a single – spot on the field where they match up well with Michigan. I mean, just from the numbers, Michigan takes it in almost every category. And if I was just to look through the stat rankings, if you will, for the Big Ten Conference, I, I could make that argument, Don. I will say a couple, and, and and we'll see if you th- agree with me on this, a couple categories, and you may say these are insignificant, but I think if I was going to pull off this shocker, it's going to be by taking advantage of these individual categories and exploiting them. Penalties is one that I've noticed. Of course, Iowa is the least penalized team in the Big Ten as far as yardage. Um, And I believe overall they're the only team in the conference with less than 50 penalties on the season. That's obviously a sign of discipline, Don. Um, Michigan, on the other hand, is also very – they're not – they're top five, I should say, in in, um, not penalizing themselves or committing penalties – but I will say this, Michigan is also not very good at uh, drawing penalties. I don't know if that's if you would consider that a, a stat that you can you can uh, um, you know bank the house on, but Michigan is 12th in the conference in forcing penalties. So that would tell me, Don, that that's one little category where you cannot be the more penalized team if you're Iowa on Saturday. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think that's a good point. You've heard me say before, when you just look at edge on penalties or edge on penalty yardage, it doesn't produce a winning percentage that's very high, but that's simply because usually there's a small edge in one way or the other on both right. penalties and penalty yardage. Just for the sake of argument, if we were 40-yard differential on penalty yards, that could be significant. Obviously, the more the the more the disparity, the the stronger likelihood that penalties do play a a larger than normal role. That that could certainly happen. Uh, there are other things that come to mind. For me, one is uh, ever starting field position. It's going to be a, a battle of field position to some degree. Um, and that's strength against strength because they have a good punter. We have a good punter. I do think our punt returner has an edge over their punt returner. Um, our punt returner, as you know, uh, is also a great kick returner. So this is an important game for Charlie Jones to win. I think we do need to win that field position battle because – um, and I did have the privilege, uh, and you'll find this interesting. Uh, after practice, I was catching quite a few of the players, and 
I made a point of catching Caleb Shudak. And I said, Caleb, I want to congratulate you on a great season. And I said, just so you know, I know Michigan's got a good kicker too. I don't know much about him, but I do know this because I said it on the radio. Uh, he's good, but there's no way in hell I'd trade him for Caleb Shudak. And he smiled and he said, Coach, I was aware that you said that, and I really appreciated you for saying it. Now, I think that might have been on the Monday morning show, I think. I don't know if I mentioned it on your show or not, but but it's the truth. You know, I put him up against any much faith I have in him. He's uh, he's still only a human being, but he's he's pretty darn perfected with his, with his uh, ability to kick a field goal, that's for sure. Yeah, and if anybody wants to know, um, Michigan's kicker is 22 of 24 on the year. Iowa's is 22 of 25. In case you want to know why Caleb Shudak did not make first team all Big Ten, it's because of that Michigan kicker. Um, so I this am is curious a, about his range. How many 50 yard pluses has he made? I wonder. Um, I believe I, I, this was what uh, um, I was told yesterday. I believe he's perfect from over 50, but he hasn't taken more than one or two. Um, I don't know that I have that stat in front of me here. Um, I do not have that stat, but I know he is. I, I was told that he is perfect from over 50, but he's only kicked a couple. Yeah, I'll see if I can look that up too while we're talking. Um, yeah, I just don't have that in front of me. And, and one thing I was going to bring up as far as, um, again, battles that I think are, are consequential on Saturday. Um, one that's with, that's very, to me, it's going to be important in a game like this where I was going to have to um, catch a few breaks, critical downs. Um, Michigan's one of the best teams in the conference on critical downs offensively. Iowa, as you know, Don is one of the worst. So, right. That's going to be a battle. Now, Iowa's excellent at uh, on on stopping teams on critical downs. Um, how does Iowa – I mean, obviously, the, the formula for a team like Iowa that wants to run the, the football is to put yourself in a good position on third and fourth and not be playing third and 10, third and 11. So how does Iowa do that? I mean, we've seen the one bugaboo at the run game has been, in my opinion, the outside zone play, which just doesn't seem to work. In a game like this where, where you're playing against maybe the best defensive end tandem – in the league, could this be a game where you don't throw your your principles of, of your running game out the window, but you, don't you have to look at running outside zone a lot less and, and just focusing on running up the middle? And we're kind of trending in that direction anyway. You know, we haven't run as many outside zone the last week or two, in part because we've just had good success running up inside. So inside zone's been more productive than outside zone. And running between the tackles has been pretty good for us. And I, you bring up a good point. If their defensive ends are maybe better than their inside D linemen, then maybe that's one more argument to try to run up inside. And, of course, you eliminate all those minus threes and minus fours when you do it. You know, you're typically going to gain yards or certainly not lose many because you're running north-south rather than quite so much east-west. The only kickers that are ranked ahead of Caleb Shudak, by the way, are Ohio State's kicker and Michigan's kicker. But Shudak, of course, 22 of 25, good for 88% on the year um, kickoffs 26 yards per return first in the big 10 Charlie Jones if he could knock off another big even if you're not talking about a, a trip to the house Don if he could consistently get Iowa back into the 40 50 yard range and create that short field right I feel like Charlie could be huge in this game yeah I'm looking at Moody stats here now his his long for the year is 52. 
Um, that's the only field goal attempt beyond 50. He made the only attempt. 40 to 49, though, he's three for five. So okay. both of his losses, both of his misses, I should say, are from 40 to 49. So he's missed. He's you said he's perfect from fifty plus one of one, but then he's so so you get him in again. You get him between that forty to fifty. It doesn't look like he's real comfortable there. Um, and, and that's right. sort of it's it's sort of ironic. I don't know if you remember. I think we talked about it. Iowa's last trip to Ann Arbor in two thousand nineteen was a game that was largely played between the two forty yard lines. Especially Iowa's offense, we could not get the ball past the forty. I don't know if you recall that, Don. I remember being sacked eight or ten times, whatever. Constantly. We kept getting past the 50, good field position. We'd get stops. I remember a, a pick or two for Iowa's defense. Could not get the ball, pa- the ball past that mark. Now, the good news for Iowa's offense is Caleb Shudek's a guy who has shown that he can kick the long ball. The difference in 2019, Don, Iowa didn't have a kicker they were comfortable with. At least from my vantage point, they didn't have a kick for, kicker they were comfortable with from 50-plus. Keith Duncan was an accurate kicker, but he was not – your big leg of a Marshall Kane or a, a Caleb Shudak. So that's an advantage in a game like this as well. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. You know, that's why it's so important. And the good news about turnovers, uh, we're, we're the most proficient, of course, at generating turnovers. Uh, Michigan is uh, okay in that regard, but not nearly on the level we are. Uh, Michigan does do a good job protecting the ball offensively in terms of turnovers. They were even, as I mentioned, in five games. So, a typical Michigan game, both teams would have one turnover, uh, maybe or, or maybe two at the most. Um, Iowa's been known, of course, uh, to um, generate multiple turnovers on defense in certain games. That'll be hard to do against Michigan because they they protect the ball well. It's not going to come easy to force turnovers, but uh, we'll hope that we'll hope that we can somehow find a way to do that because that'll obviously make a difference in our field position and. Um, and of course, in many cases, that gives you a chance to be to be set up on the short end of the field rather than the long end. Uh, the Big Ten is uh, here. Here's a stat that's kind of sort of interesting. The Big Ten is basically two tiers as far as uh, the passing attack: Ohio State, Purdue, Maryland, Penn State, Nebraska, Michigan State, Michigan. The top seven all average 225 plus yards per game through the air, and then you have Iowa, Northwestern, Indiana, Rutgers, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Illinois that all average. Uh, 178 or less. So there's a big drop off there, but Michigan is seventh in the Big Ten in passing, Iowa eight. So not a huge difference there. Um, and yet in terms of yards per game, it's maybe as much as 50 or so. It's right around 50 yards per game. Yeah. Um, and of course, Michigan deploys two quarterbacks at times. Um, what do you see as the differences between uh, the two? Two obviously McNamara, the primary kid, and uh, I don't even think of the other guy. Uh, McCarthy, I think it is McCarthy. JJ McCarthy. Yeah, McCarthy. It looks to me like if McCarthy's in the game, it's it's considerably more likely to be a run play. Uh, oftentimes, he might end up carrying the ball even. So a lot of zone read stuff maybe would show up. Um, I don't doubt that he might. They might break tendencies and throw with him. I don't know how many pass attempts he has on the season, but he's without question the better runner. I think that's safe to say. Incidentally, they've got not two but three good running backs. But we do have another personnel tendency there. I think. Uh, everybody knows about Haskins, of course. He's the starter. He is a he's a very good physical running back. Um, I like number two. He's a good solid backup too. He's got speed. And then the, they have a true freshman, number seven. And I think when he's in the game, you should expect even that he's going to be throwing the ball. And it's simple stuff like swings out of the backfield so that they can get him out in space. 
he must have really good hands. He made one catch in the in the Ohio State game that was pretty phenomenal. He was running to his right, and he just simply snagged the ball with with his right hand and had no assistance at all from his left hand. And that was on a, a cold, um, snowy, sleety day. So uh, I think if, if seven's in the game, we better get ready. Uh, much more likely to be a pass than a run, I think. And I, I don't have all the – I don't know any of the, the breakdowns they've got on as a staff, but just from observing the games, uh, I think they're more likely to throw when seven's in the game. They're certainly more likely to run when 25's in the game. And when two's in the game, I think it's more likely to be a wide play versus when 25's in the game, we better be able to defend. To begin with, we better be able to defend between the tackles because they – there's, that's one similarity in both teams. Both teams pride themselves on being able to run the ball up the gut. And um, they have the, the back that can do it. And they have O-line blocking similar to our center guard blocking. And um, it'll be a challenge for either team to to defend those inside runs with uh, a lot of success because um, those plays, of course, if you can knock out four yards or more, that's, that's um, what you're interested in doing because – we can deal with second and medium. We just can't deal with second and long, third and long. Don, these last few weeks, um, the narrative nationally for Iowa is close victories. Um, our friend Justin Rowe with Michigan Athletics, uh, you know, his his guest appearance on on Mark Rogers' show this week, he talked about how the the feeling around around the Michigan program is that Iowa peaked early, which is fine with me. I'm fine with that line of thinking. Um, Iowa certainly is playing as the underdog here, um, and and you'd have to think they have the chip on on their shoulder here. But one thing that I think has been overlooked is we've talked about the offensive line for Iowa improving, and I think we've seen that over the last few weeks. You're a former offensive coordinator. Let's start with that O-line because I also think that Iowa's run defense has improved these last couple of weeks. But as far as the um, offensive line, what do you see from – from shot and and certainly Jack Plum's played more with Richmond being out Richmond they got back on Friday but where do you see those guys progressing? Well, I think one difference, well, two differences. One is the inexperienced players that are more at the tackle position. Those guys have gained a lot of experience over the season. I think that's helped because they're they're uh, they're smarter than they were two months ago. There's no doubt about that. They're smarter than they were two weeks ago, for that matter, because it's it's a learning pro- process for them. I think another thing that's made a difference here in the latter half of the season is that Shot is more healthy. Uh, so I think we're, I think he's back at – I think he's at full strength now. And and he and he and 65, if they're next to each other, then you got a pretty good chance of moving people out of that part of the field, that's for sure. So I'm glad that Kyler's healthy again and playing well. It means a lot to him to play well, of course. So, um, you know, we're not, we're not world beaters across the front, but I think we're at least better than we were. And that's important because Michigan is one of the – Toughest test we'll face the entire season. Okay, so the, the the offensive line progression has been well documented these past few weeks. What people aren't talking about, in my opinion, is the evolution of Iowa's run defense. And you may say, well, Iowa's run defense has always been good. Let's remember two of the top three teams in the Big Ten rushing the football are Wisconsin and Minnesota. As you know, Don, Iowa did not stop the run very well against Wisconsin, and they really didn't stop the run very well against Minnesota. But a couple of more, the more underrated teams on the ground are Nebraska and Illinois, two teams that are in the upper tier. You could say the top seven of the Big Ten in rushing. Iowa completely 
shut down Illinois' rushing attack, which I think impressed us both, Don, at the time. Yeah. Nebraska rushed for approximately 130 yards, but only averaged three yards on the ground. A lot of those came from Smothers at quarterback early. Like yeah. I was kind of feeling him out. So everybody wants to talk about Michigan's rushing attack. It is best in the Big Ten right now, which is a scary proposition when you look at how Iowa played against Wisconsin and Minnesota. But again, I think Iowa's run defense has actually improved. What are your thoughts? I think you're right. Those those games you mentioned that we performed well in, of course, were our last two games. Uh, I made the comment after the Illinois game. I said I didn't know that anybody could hold uh, their back to 42 yards, but we did. And um, and two reasons for that. He only had 13 carries in that game. He got he got banged up a little bit in the second half and missed a few snaps. But part of the reason he didn't get more touches also is because we weren't playing from behind. Um, you know, so it's important to start fast and not allow them, even if even if they're if they're protecting a lead, of course, now you're going to see a back like Haskins with 25 carries or I doubt that he'll have more than 25, of course, because Coram will have some and even the 13 back will have some. But I guess the point is, and we've talked a little bit about this, one of the tricks to winning in the Big Ten is being sure that you can run the ball more than 50 percent of the time. Uh, and we haven't really discussed it at length, I guess, but one key to success, of course, is outrushing the opponent. That's true. But more fundamental than that is being able to run the ball more than half the time. Um, that's almost critical that you do that. The, the winning percentages change a lot. If you're below 50% run, they change a lot. You need to be above 50% run. If you can get up towards 60% run, your chances are even better of winning the game. Now, in this game, it's going to be hard to do, of course, because – Michigan does a good job of slowing slowing down any running game. But that's got to be our goal is to have really good balance running pass. Uh, if either one of the teams throws the ball 40 times, then they're probably the losing team. One thing that uh, maybe is a little bit overhyped for Michigan is their rush defense. They're right in the middle of the Big Ten. So they're not, they don't possess the rush defense that, say, a Wisconsin does. Um, they allow basically what Iowa averages, right around 3.4 yards per carry, I believe. So there's no reason to think Iowa can't run the ball. I think up the middle, as you, you talked about, Don, Gavin Williams, would that would make me think that maybe this could be a, a surprise game. He may be a dark horse in this game to compile some yardage because of his ability to run downhill. I agree. You know, looking at uh, individual games, I've got all of Michigan's games down here, and I've actually recorded the parameters that the other team won. And you mentioned rushing yardage. This will surprise you a little bit. Would you believe that Rutgers outrushed Michigan? Wow. They did. They wow. actually did. Uh, Rutgers wow. also had more rush attempts than Michigan. Oh, by wow. the way, it was a one-score game. It was 20-13, to 13, I believe it was. I know it was. And um, that would surprise people that, yeah. that Rutgers outrushed Michigan. Now, that was a long time ago. That was the first conference game. But looking on down through here, uh, here's another game that might surprise – well, this won't surprise you. No surprise that Michigan State outrushed Michigan because we know that Michigan State has maybe the next Heisman winner. He's certainly going to get a lot of votes. Uh, but Michigan State outrushed him and also had more rushing attempts. Uh, coming on down, Penn State had more rushing attempts. Now, Penn State did not outrush them, but they did have more attempts, which is, again, a good, a good stat to have on your side. And then more recent than that even – uh, Maryland outrushed Michigan and had more rushing attempts. So there is some some indication that if you're really committed to running the football, to keep them honest, 
you'll have a chance to get that done because any number of teams are able to do it. Let's generalize this for a second, then we can dive back into some specific matchups on the field. Um, back to the sort of narrative that Iowa's really not playing good football right now. I, I think that should be dispelled because they've they've won. First of all, they've won four straight games, right? And they had to win those four games to have any chance at the West. I think we said that after the Wisconsin game. You got to win out here if you want any chance to win this division. They did right. that. They're champions. But I think there is this notion that they haven't played anybody good. Minnesota's pretty darn good, Don. And I know they lost to Bowling Green early. I don't want to use the word fluke. That's probably a word that coaches don't like. But that was sort of a weird game early. Um, they were really good against Wisconsin. They've looked pretty darn good. I mean, I know Illinois beat them, but Illinois also blew out Northwestern. I mean, Iowa didn't impress me against Northwestern whatsoever. It looked like a very pedestrian game plan, especially in that second half when Padilla came in there. I think right. you'd probably agree with that. But Nebraska plays everybody close. So... You know, it'll be interesting to see. I, I, I said it to Mark yesterday, and, and you can people who are interested in my selection for this game can tune in Friday night for that. I have a really good feeling about this game, Don, and that's not based on necessarily anything stat-wise or any position that I think Iowa just dominates in because I really don't know that there is a position that they dominate, dominate in. Um, I think there are a couple battles they could win, but there's just something about this game. We've talked about the hangover effect that Michigan could possibly be hung over from the Ohio State win. I think that's possible. Um, certainly, you have to wonder about, uh, you know, how much is Kirk using the disrespect card? I mean, is he a guy, Don? I know he's not necessarily a Hayden Fry as far as being a motivator, but is Kirk a guy who you know that he will put stuff up on the whiteboard or, you know, will use that type of, of uh, motivation where, Hey, we're ten and a half point underdogs. They're disrespecting us. Let's go out and kill somebody. Figuratively speaking, of course. Well, I do think this. Um, it's safe to say that was a that was a monumental effort out of Michigan last Saturday. You got to realize a huge level of frustration. How many years in a row had they lost to Ohio State? I'm not sure. It's about a 10. decade, right? Yeah, about ten. About ten years, plus or minus. But who's counting? I'm pretty sure um, Michigan fans are counting. That's for sure. They were counting. So they finally got the win. It was a very emotional win for them. Um, and, of course, it got them into the Big Ten championship game. So they used up a lot of emotional bullets last weekend. That's safe to say. Um, so it's going to be hard for them to duplicate that. You know, we're the, we're the uh, opponent that's not given much respect. Um, that's always played well for us. You know, the no respect thing's always played well for us. Uh, there are any number of times when we played Michigan through the years where we were a decided underdog and they were looking down their nose at us and it cost them. Um, the first one that comes to mind for me is back in 1981. We went up there with a team, of course, that had not done anything uh, prior to that season and we beat them nine to seven on the strength of three field goals. Uh, and of course, some great defense. Uh, I mentioned again to, to Kirk today, I said, this team reminds me so much of that 81 team. And he said, he said, yeah, me too. And uh, he, he said maybe what was most significant when Andre Tippett was in town for that Minnesota game, he had a chance to talk to the team, and he mentioned that very fact. You guys remind me so much of our team back in 81. And we had a stingy defense. We had a kicking game that was second to none. And we had an offense that was opportunistic, and you had to protect the ball. And, and the offense wasn't going to win any stats back in 81 either, but we knew how to win games. Frankly, it's more important to know how to win games than it is to to win statistical wars. Right. Only one step matters, of course, and that's the points at the end of the game. 
So our guys recognize we don't have to outrush Michigan to beat them. We don't even have to win the majority of the analytics to beat them um, because we've we've beaten teams without winning half the analytics anyway. Let me touch on it because I went to the trouble of pulling these up, Corey, doing the research for them. I think you'll find it interesting. It's kind of dawning. I looked at the nine conference games, and I looked at the top 15 parameters. And as you know, I routinely go down through the top 15 parameters just to get an idea of, of which ones mattered the most. Um, and that's true for, for all conference games. I gave Kirk the report today, the updated report, and I said, Kirk, I'm so excited to give this to you because right here on the top of the page it says 63 games. 63 Big Ten games have been played. I said, you guys are the 64th game. And it's, uh, it's neat for me able to be able to congratulate you on being that 64th game. That's what every Absolutely. team plays for. Uh, anyway, getting back to, to Michigan's season, uh, 15 parameters per game. So that would be 135 that are available to be won, right? Nine times 15. In those nine games, uh, Wisconsin, Wisconsin, listen to me, Michigan won 99 parameters. So think of it this way, 99 divided by 9, of course, is 11 parameters per game they won out of 15. The opponent did not win 4.0. The opponent won 3.0 because, on average, there was one tie in there. Yeah, so 99 parameters won by Michigan, 11 per game out of the top 15, not just random 15, the top 15, and the opponents won an average of 3.0. So, and yet, just to give you an example, Michigan State only won five and yet won the game. Uh, Michigan won nine in that particular game. So they, there were 14 out of 15 that were won. Um, I can't remember the tie. I believe the tie, uh, it wasn't It wasn't turnover margin, but uh, maybe it was. Let me check. What about Nebraska, Don? Because that was a close game. With I mean, people forget Nebraska. I saw somebody comment earlier on social media. Oh, Iowa struggled with Nebraska. So did Michigan. Absolutely, so did Michigan. they did. Um, yeah, Michigan 32, Nebraska 29. The game was in doubt. It wasn't a garbage garbage touchdown late for Nebraska, as I recall. Um, and Michigan that, was a won 10. that was a mid-October game, so it's not like that was forever ago either. Yeah, Michigan won 10 parameters in that game. Nebraska only won two. But as I recall, a lot of the parameters were close. You know, maybe they were outrushed by – 30, 40 yards. Maybe they, maybe Michigan had one or two more first downs. Whatever. Uh, the two parameters, incidentally, that Nebraska won, third quarter scoring and also average starting field position. I will mention this. I don't mind sharing this with you. Uh, one of the things I did after I was done with all this, I went back and I asked the question, which teams played them to one-score games? There were three of them. Most of our fans couldn't even name those three opponents. I'm not sure that you can, Corey, and you know – a lot about Michigan season, but can you name those three teams that came within a score? You probably uh, can. Yeah, uh, let, let's let's see here. So Nebraska would be one, right? You told me Rutgers was another, and we're talking only Big Ten, correct? Right. Uh, man, I, I want to cheat so badly, but uh, Ohio State was two scores. Maryland was like thirty-five, forty-point win. Um. I can't imagine that it'd be the other one. The other one's Penn State. Penn State, you're right. It was a three or four point game. Twenty one seventeen. Yep, twenty one seventeen. So the reason I bring it up, 
I, I took those three teams that are, that you would have to say at all three played Michigan tough, right? They've done Absolutely. that. And then I added in Michigan State, of course, because Michigan's one team to beat them. So then my question was, looking at those four teams only, are there any parameters that kept showing up in favor of Michigan's opponents? None of them were four for four, but there were parameters that showed up three out of four games. Uh, there were three of them to be exact, and I don't mind sharing this with you because I don't think it's going to be any great help for um, for Michigan. Are, are, you, are, you, are you sure, Don? <laughs> I've got some stuff that's better than this even that okay. I'm not going to share with you. But I don't mind sharing this. Looking at those four teams that either beat them or played them tough, there were uh, three different parameters that showed up in three out of those four games. So there was a pattern of winning these parameters. Those three parameters were rushing attempts, third quarter scoring, and also fourth quarter scoring. So the message there is if you're going to beat them, you're going to have to you're going to have to at least be competitive in the third and fourth quarters. In truth, you better beat them in the third and fourth quarters because you may be playing from behind. So let me re- let me just clarify something, Don. For anybody that's not familiar with these analytics, second quarter scoring has been the most important quarter in recent time for Big Ten teams. Has that held true throughout this season? No, it has not. There's been a change. And we can talk about it at some point since the season's basically done. First quarter scoring is more important now. Which, it never really made sense that second quarter scoring would be the number one indicator, at least to me. And so, first quarter... We had that discussion. Uh, Kirk even asked. Kirk said, I'm surprised. This is a couple of three years ago. He said, why do you think second quarter scoring is more important? And I said, all I can think of is that in the first quarter, oftentimes, you're kind of feeling each other out, and maybe one team has a new significant wrinkle to their to their game plan that catches the other team off guard. And maybe after one quarter, um, the underdog is actually up on the op- opposition. But in the second quarter, between the first and second quarter, sometime in there, the other team's um, defensive coordinator or offensive coordinator, whatever the case might be, they basically – solve the problem that was presented to them there in the first quarter. And in the second quarter, the team that makes the best adjustments from the start of the game, of course, has a better chance to win that second quarter. So I think that's why historically the second quarter has been more important. Uh, This year, I think the change this year, you've got several teams that all try to play the same way and had pretty good success doing it. And that was simply starting off fast and, and, being really committed to shortening the game a lot. And the teams that come to mind, of course, are Wisconsin, Illinois, uh, Minnesota, those three teams in particular, all of which, of course, had um, pretty successful seasons in one form or another. Another team that would fall into that category, of course, would be Iowa. Another team would be Michigan. Michigan likes to protect leads, too. Who doesn't? We all like to protect leads. Especially when you run Uh, the ball like they do. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it is important to get off to a good start. That's true. John, let me let me add this in here real quick for anybody that doesn't believe second half scoring is important to be able to hang with maybe one of the more important stats to be able to hang with this team with this Michigan team. Let me break this down even more. And I just looked this up when when you were talking about it, Don. The Nebraska game, which again was thirty two twenty nine Michigan. Nebraska outscored Michigan twenty two to six in the third quarter. 22 points from Nebraska in that third quarter. Michigan State outscored Michigan 15 to 3 in the fourth quarter. All right. 
And yeah. even Rutgers outscored Michigan 10 to nothing in the second half of that game, uh, which is incredible. I know that was early. Uh, I believe that was their first Big Ten game of the season. Um, and yeah. then what's the third one? Penn State. Uh, Penn State outscored uh, Michigan 11 to 7 in the fourth. So uh, the, the common variable, I mean, overall, obviously, they're outscoring Michigan in the, in the uh, two quarters combined. But there's there's typically in those those games that have been either been close or the one loss for Michigan, there's been a quarter where they get pounded on the scoreboard. And so does Iowa. Have, I know that Nebraska game, for instance, two of those scores for Nebraska in that 22 to six quarter in the third quarter were 40 plus yard explosive pass plays. Does Iowa have, do you think Iowa can pull that off? Is that, is, are explosive plays, have those shown up in your analytics for Michigan? Well, that's the, that's the mystery, of course, that we won't solve until Saturday night. I'd make the comment on um, the Monday morning radio show. I said, uh, you've always heard me talk about game planning and how important it is. Uh, I said, here's the reality. You know, if you're trying to solve a defense like Michigan, it's kind of painstaking to have to do it, but it's the right way to do it. You look through all the all the formation possibilities that, that present themselves to you, and I'm saying that because you're looking at all this video, and you're simply looking for – there might only be one – particular formation where you where you feel they're vulnerable with how they're playing. They have a tendency, here's how they want to play this particular formation. It might be tied into the personnel that are on the field. Uh, but just to give you a, a simple example, this is a very simple example. It does not necessarily apply to Michigan uh, because I don't know their formation tendencies like our staff does. You know, I don't have – I don't have the uh, – sorry about that. Um, I don't have uh, access to all the cut-ups that – that our coaches do. Uh, but um, my point is, if you, if you really you think of it this way, Corey, you got to look under a lot of rocks to find an answer. And so you take every formation and one of the simple things you do is you analyze, is there any particular formation where you feel like they're unsound with how they're playing? And if they are unsound with how they're playing, let's discuss how we're going to be able to take advantage of it. And it might even be more specific than formation. Maybe it's formation that's also tied into a specific down and distance. The most obvious probably being critical downs, you know, third and fourth downs. So maybe on first down against this particular formation, they're they're in base defense, but maybe in third and short, they're willing to compromise that base defense. And, um, and that's fine if you hope that nobody's taking advantage of it because you see on film, here's a place where we can take advantage. And so in that regard, because you've looked long and hard for those situations, when that one time in the game it comes up, we're able to take advantage of it. I'll give you an example from the Nebraska game. The first time we were in short yardage in our first possession, you recall what we did on third and one. We threw play action to our tight end for a gain of 30. Remember that? Lachey. Lachey. No. Um, was it Laporta? It was Laporta. Okay. It was Laporta, but it was a play action pass on third and one, and we hit on it. And that only took us to the goal line. Incidentally, today after practice, I did tell Laporta the first thing I said to Sam. I said, Sam, for the record, that absolutely was a touchdown catch. And he smiled and he said, he said, I know, coach. And I said, well, just so you know, when I was grading it, I gave Alex a minus on that play because if he'd thrown you a better ball, there wouldn't have been any debate about it because you would have simply caught it and flipped it over to the official after you caught it and then had a celebration. But he threw a, a difficult catch for you. You still made the catch. But in the process, of course, you didn't have the ball possessed 
very long before you hit the ground. And of course, that was it's still a mystery to me as to how they re- overturned that. But that's another discussion, I guess, that we might or might not need to have. I heard somebody make a comparison earlier this week uh, between Aiden Hutchinson and George Karloftis. Um, if if I were just to say that, if if I were to say Aiden Hutchinson equals George Karloftis, is there truth behind that? And if so, that should worry Iowa fans, right? Because George Karloftis caused Iowa all kinds of problems in that Purdue game. I'm not saying this just because we're playing Michigan, but if if you force me to pick between one and the other. I would favor Hutchinson. Really? Okay. Yeah, and that's not taking anything, anything away from Carl Loftus. Carl Loftus might be drafted higher than Hutchinson. I don't know. Absolutely. They're both going to um, play on Sunday. I'm sure of that. From my vantage point, Aiden Hutchinson might be a more versatile player. You compare him to a guy like George Carl Loftus. I, I've seen Aiden pulled out in space, and he's he's not bad out in space. He's To me, he's just more versatile than maybe Carl Loftus. I know one thing that bothers me. He's got a he's got a greater wings. Uh, you remember a key play late in the game. Uh, I give the quarterback from Ohio State a lot of credit. He somehow lofted the ball over Hutchinson, and it took great touch to do it. But he got it over him barely, just by an inch or two, and it ended up, I believe, as a touchdown on that very play. I think, or at least it set up a touchdown. A simple swing pass, but he had to really, really elevate the ball to get it over. Uh, an outstretched Hutchinson. I like Hutchinson because he plays with great effort. I think Karloftis does too. Uh, you know, really six of one half dozen of the other. They're both great players. All right, a couple a couple things, and, and I do want to touch on the defense. Um, but before I do that, here, here's another stat that, that I think Iowa ha- has an advantage in if there is. I mean, it's a slight advantage potentially here, but Iowa's number one in the Big Ten in opponent punt returns so in other words they only average their opponents only average 1.1 yards per punt return of course give credit to Tory taylor and iowa's special teams unit as a whole and that kind of brings me into the defense one of the nicer developments and i I think this could be one of the more underrated developments if it holds true on saturday and that is what kirk said yesterday at his weekly press conference and that is that terry roberts looks like he may be back don I don't want to put you on the spot, but you were at practice today. Was Terry practicing? Did you notice? I did um, not notice. If he comes back, this is just what I think. I, I think that changes Iowa's. I, I think that changes Iowa's outlook in this game. I'm not saying it's it's you know a ten point difference, but I'm just saying a couple of reasons. A, he is I think by far, and Iowa's got a lot of them. He is their best special teams guy in general. Uh, if you're just talking about a guy who who's doing the dirty work. He seems to come up with big plays. I think back to the the uh, Iowa State game in 2019, play yep. that he really made with along with um, Young, the wide receiver. Um, and then you look at a game like Northwestern last year. Of course, Iowa lost that game, but Terry Roberts makes a big fumble recovery on an Iowa punt to get them the ball, and of course, help build that 17 to nothing lead. But my point is. He's not just going to be on the defensive end of things. He's going to be a big part of this game if he's healthy. And here's what I also think. I think we have talked about this, but Minnesota, uh, and I know Wisconsin and Michigan are not built the same. Uh, Michigan's got a better downfield passing attack than Wisconsin. I don't think that's any debate. Um, And it starts with the quarterback position. I understand that. But one thing Iowa has not been willing to do um, against the likes of Wisconsin um, and you could argue Minnesota, but I think more so Wisconsin. Maybe you'll tell me wrong, uh, Don. But uh, 
sometimes Iowa's not willing to sell out enough against the run. Whereas you look at what Minnesota did against Wisconsin this past week. They stopped. They shut down Wisconsin's running attack. When's the last time you said Iowa has shut down a Wisconsin running attack? It does not happen. Right. And to do that, you have to say, okay, we're willing to put our cornerbacks on an island. And what I saw in that Minnesota-Wisconsin game, and I am coming around about to Michigan, what I saw in that Minnesota-Wisconsin game was P.J. Flex saying, look, we're going to sell out. We're going to stop. We're not going to let Braylon Allen just run for 200 yards on us. We're going to force Mertz to throw the ball downfield, which he did. But he also said, look, I don't think Mertz is that good. If, if he's going to throw the ball downfield, we'll take our chances. And if our corners get beat, we'll take a pass interference, we'll take the 15 yards, and we'll live to see another set of downs. And I could be wrong on that, Don, but it worked well. And eventually, Mertz, he doesn't have that many darts down the field. Now, I don't know if that's different with McCarthy and McNamara. Certainly, McNamara is more the guy who's going to be throwing those deep shots. But do you see Phil Parker willing to sell out against the best run offense in the Big Ten, sell out against that run, I, I think Terry Roberts being back there as opposed to Jamari Harris would help Phil to have the confidence that we can handle the back end if we do that. Maybe so. That's that's not Phil's nature. Uh, you right. know, he would certainly he would certainly like to think that we don't have to do that because, um, you know, at that point, obviously you're vulnerable to a, a big play. I am concerned about one receiver in particular. Number one has a lot of speed. I believe he's the guy. I know he is. He's the guy that really – um, came into his own in the Michigan State game, you know, because he's from uh, East Lansing, as I recall, playing for Michigan. I think he's a freshman, number one, whatever his name is. <clears throat> Can't recall. Um, looking him up here. Um, but I would yeah, worry on, about Andrew Anthony. Anthony. Yeah, uh, we better respect his speed because I think he's got a little extra juice in terms of the deep ball. We he's got good speed. Uh, well, he averages, he averages 21 yards per catch. Yeah. Yeah. So let's be alert for him. Some of the other guys maybe don't can't take the, the top off defense quite as easily as he can. Um, it's not our nature to play that way. You know, the way we'd prefer to play, of course, is, is to not be overloaded to stop the run. And I, I say that even if we're, even if we're not in an eight man front, um, obviously, Kerner doesn't make all those tackles if he's not recognizing run and and getting downhill in a hurry to play run, even though he is a free safety. So even in our base defense, even if he's in half coverage, you know, he's maybe 12 yards off the ball. And, of course, he's got keys that he looks for to indicate early indicators that, the, that it's run. Maybe, maybe it's one particular lineman that shows run even in his stance versus pass. Uh, that's where film study comes in again to be able to pick up on a, a key as to an early indicator for run versus pass. So even if we're in our base defense, you know, we're rolling Kerner down pretty quickly. Our strong safety's coming down pretty quickly too, even if we're against two-back offense. Uh, and of course, I don't know how much they play of two-back offense. They certainly play some, but not not a lot. They're in a lot of one-back, as you know. You'll see three wideouts out there a lot and a tight end. And of course, uh, Haskins in the backfield. Um but um, as far as just selling out to defend the run, we're going to think long and hard about doing that. That's not our nature. Um, I understand where you're coming from. Don't we have to think? You've always heard me say you got to make them beat you left-handed. Well, it's safe to say if they're running the ball down our throat, we better take our chances by loading the box. I don't right. think it'll happen. I think we'll hang in there and defend the run okay, especially when you're talking about the safeties rotating down as they see run. 
Uh, incidentally, they ran pitch back to quarterback the other day too and had an interesting concept off of it. It was actually a, a trail concept, and the guy was wide open. So I give Michigan credit for some imaginative play calling too. If you can imagine, they they faked a, um, a fly sweep and they handed the ball to uh, Haskins, I believe it was, in the backfield. He ran into the line. He pitched the ball back. And, and from that point, it wasn't a throw over the top of the defense. It was a wheel route to the to the fly fly sweep man, and he was wide open because the outside receiver, of course, had driven the corner deep, and he threw the ball into the hole. We always talk about throwing the ball into the hole in the hole of a zone defense. We're talking about a three-deep zone defense. That hole would typically be about 18 yards deep. Um, but it can be a really productive play because if you hit the guy on the dead run, of course, he may run for 30 or 40. Um, because let's face it, that poor corner's downfield defending that deep route, and the next man down, of course, the flat defender is somewhere underneath. He's caught underneath um, that wheel route because because the, the pitch back to the quarterback, of course, he saw a run, which means he's not in any position to defend the depth of that of that wheel route. So that's why it was wide open. It was a really well conceived play. Um, you know, maybe we'll turn around and use that same play against them this week. That's a good thought. Uh, I will because, say, Don, the, the cornerbacks that Iowa deploys between the four guys who have seen significant time at corner this year, and I'm talking, of course, Hankins, Moss, Roberts, and Harris. Harris has gotten beat deep. Moss has gotten beat deep. Even Hankins has gotten beat deep. The one guy who has not gotten beat deep now is Roberts, but I, I acknowledge that I think Roberts has probably had the least amount of snaps of all yeah. four of those guys, but that is true. Now, we've known Moss has had at times moments where he's gotten beat on double cuts deep. But I, I just, I think you understand where I'm coming from on that, Don. I, I just feel like perhaps if you can, if it's Moss and Harris, I understand Phil Parker not wanting to leave those guys out there by themselves, but I, I would like to think Moss, he was just voted. I, I know that doesn't mean anything, but he was just voted defensive back of the year yesterday, Don. Those guys, vote, back of the, those guys uh, casting their ballots never played football though. In most cases, that's true. You're right. <laughs> Uh, I like Riley, um, and, and I think I'm not saying he's the perfect corner, but if you have Riley and Terry Roberts, those might be your two best corners. I mean, I think you like Hankins. You probably think Hankins is one of Iowa's two I best think, corners. I think Riley, you know, Riley's goal for Saturday, talking about personal goal, is to not be suckered on any double cut. Uh, you know, he's got to be smart. He's got to recognize, he's got to anticipate that they're going to try to beat him with the double cut. They'd be crazy not to because yeah. he's been beaten a few times. So his first priority on Saturday is don't get beat over the top. I don't think he'll be beat over the top with a go route. He might be because number one versus Riley Moss, Riley better respect his speed and give him proper cushion. Because uh, if he goes deep at some point, he's going that guy's going to run by him. Hopefully that point would be more than 50 yards downfield and, and the quarterback would run out of time or run out of arm to be able to get it that far. So that's his priorities. Don't get beat deep. Um, and, and, be your usual aggressive self as long as you for sure recognize pass, um, you know, recognize underneath pass, I should say. If you're confident the ball's coming out, in other words, you it's a long-arm motion rather than a short-arm motion. You know what I mean by a short-arm motion. It's a pump fake, but it's not the long-arm motion that a right. quarterback has when he's throwing the ball. It's a slight difference, but a good corner recognizes that difference. Uh, and then addressing Terry Roberts, one of the thing I, things I like about Terry – He's got a long frame, and even if even if you've got him beaten by half a step, he's long enough 
where he might still be able to knock the ball down, you know, because maybe your wingspan is not what his is and you're not as tall either. So if you're going to beat him over the top, you need more than just a yard to do it. You know, you need two or three yards maybe to, to clear him because he's a tall, he's a tall fence post, if you will. Whereas refer to those defenders as fence post, you know, because that's an old West Texas term, I guess. Um, you think of linebackers as fence post players, you know, because they're underneath those in routes. But in a way, any any corner that's defending a deep ball, if he's underneath the receiver trying to defend a deep ball, effectively he's still another fence post, right? It's a fence post that's nearby to the receiver. Hope that makes sense. Absolutely. And I, I just a couple more questions, Don. We appreciate the time um, that you've given us here. The first question being, how much 21 personnel do we see from Iowa on Saturday? I'm assuming we're going to see a lot, but I asked that question because that also brings up if Alex Padilla is in the game, which I think both of us uh, we, both of us believe that Kirk will not be too hesitant to make that switch if things aren't going the way he expects or wants. But how much 21 personnel do we see in this game from Iowa? Um, and again, with, with 21 personnel, I, I, I guess I should ask this question as well. I liked what I saw from Monty Potabom. I've liked him all year long. That run against Nebraska was impressive. Why not mix up a fullback run earlier in a set of downs. He's proven he can run. I think that would be, wouldn't that be sort of a, a safe play, but yet one that would catch Michigan off guard to run him on second and eight? Well, a good example, you mentioned Potterbaum last week, that play you're talking about. Just realize it was a short yardage play, as I recall. Um, and and a, that particular um, backfield action on the part of the fullback and the quarterback is the same backfield action that, that compliments belly pitch. Remember where you fake inside and pitch yeah. the ball wide? Well, we this time we weren't faking inside. We were handing him the ball, and our linemen on the play side were actually giving the defense a false key. They were actually stepping left while Potterbaum was running right. It was a, actually influence blocks on their part. So it's good football that we did that, and that's one reason he was wide open. The tight end, as I recall, did have a key block to open the hole. He was blocking the edge guy. And the inside guys went chasing off inside versus those hats that went inside the garden tackle, put their hats inside. And defenses typically read hats, of course. they If if the lineman in front of them steps left, then they tend to mirror his movement. So it's good football to, to influence defenders every now and then just to mess with their heads a little bit. That's what we did on that play. I do think you're right. I think we're pretty comfortable with two-back offense. Uh it does present a lot of opportunities in terms of being able to run the ball up inside. Not that we can't do it out of one bag. We can, but I just like it because it's, it's old fashioned football. It's, 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 um, uh, and Potterbaum I think that's, the only always, way, that's the only way we're going to be able to run in my opinion. And I'm not a no expert. That's the only way we're going to be able to run is if we have, if we deploy 21 personnel with, with Potterbaum up the middle, I just think that's, that's the road and I could be wrong. The one thing I'm sure of is we're going to, uh, we're going to try to run the ball out of 21 I hope we're able to do it. If we're able to do it, that's a good sign uh, because it still offers a lot of play action opportunities. Um, you know, you've heard me say before, if I had to play all day with one formation, I think I'd still pick pick a pro formation, 21 personnel. I still like, I like that personnel grouping for sure. It depends on your personnel, of course. If you can put three wideouts out there and maybe you don't have a great fullback, then maybe that makes more sense to go with what we call 11 personnel, you know, one back and one tight end and three wideouts. Uh, but I think we're comfortable with 21 as a, as a personnel grouping, and 
I think if we're lucky enough to run 21, 40 times on Saturday, it probably means we won the game. Absolutely. Final question, Don, and then I got to jump over on Mark's show at four before I, uh, I got an appointment at four 30 here. We're recording on Wednesday afternoon, but Don, you'd have to think, and we said this before the Wisconsin game and, and I was disappointed. And I think uh, I'm, I'm sure the coaching staff was, was down on themselves for, for not trying more um, just to break tendency in that Wisconsin game. That was the biggest game of the season. Now they escaped with, they found a way to get to this game regardless. Although if they had won that game and then won out, we would be taking, we'd be talking about playoff right now. We'd be talking about when this game, you are in the playoff. That's right. beside the point. I still think Iowa actually has a slim chance for the playoff. It's not great, but that's beside the point. This game, you'd think that this is, this is the big game. I mean, this is, you could argue, you could make the argument, Don, and I'm not saying it's true or not, but you could make the argument that this is Kirk's biggest game of his career. I think 15 probably was because you win that game and you're in the playoff. Um, and then you might say the Rose Bowl in 15 was his next biggest game. You could make the argument this is the biggest game of Kirk's career. So you'd have to think they're going to leave everything out there as far as play calling and whatnot. Has Iowa been holding on to anything? I know we've talked about special teams trick plays that Iowa ran a lot in 17 and 18. Very successful. Exotics offensively. Are there things we haven't seen that you expect Kirk Ferentz, Brian Ferentz, this offensive coaching staff to deploy Saturday night? I have no doubt that we have some plays that we haven't shown uh, that are at least going to be on that call sheet on Saturday night. Uh, the question is whether or not we get to them. I, I think we might, and I'll tell you why. Uh, we have nothing to lose. You know, there's that term, uh, playing with house money. In many ways, we are playing with house money. You know, we've already overachieved in some people's eyes. We weren't supposed to even be in this game two weeks ago, and now we are. Uh, so if anybody has any extra pressure, it's Michigan because they're, they're playing for the right to be in the Final Four. Uh, we, don't have that, we don't have that burden to carry around. Uh, and they played a very emotional uh, game just a week ago, and it's, it's going to be interesting to see if they can match that same emotional energy they had last Saturday with this Saturday. I, I said it to Mark Rogers yesterday, and people, a lot of people called me a fool. People were saying I was delusional. Don, you know I'm a homer. But I'm also I try to be pretty balanced. I, would you agree with that? I try to stay down the middle and call it like I see it. Right. But I have a really good feeling about this game. I think I was going to win this game, and, and no one else like no one else is predicting that. Um, and, and what I have heard is people saying, "Man, I just don't see any way Iowa wins this game." Don, in a way, that's exactly what Kirk Ferentz and this coaching staff wants. I would have to think. People saying, I don't see any way for them to do it, completely discounting them. I just have a feeling they win this game. Don, care to offer any predictions? I know you're not a score-predicting savant, but any predictions for Saturday? Do you feel anything close to what I'm exp expressing here? Uh, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all if we pull it off. Uh, just like I made the comment to you a, a week ago, I said it wouldn't surprise me at all if Minnesota beats Wisconsin because Wisconsin's got the pressure. Uh, you know the pressure's off for Minnesota. They're not going. They're not going anywhere. They're not going to Indy, but they still have a chance to play for the axe. And um, and last Saturday was a huge win for Michigan. You know they used up a lot of bullets last weekend. Um, can they have a similar effort this Saturday night to what they had last Saturday? One one difference is simply be they don't have the home field advantage. You know half the crowds for them and half the crowds for us. I would think or thereabouts. It's at least not on a home field. So um, um, 
and and they feel the pressure, of course, of needing to win the game to make the playoffs. They they finally made it to Indy, but let's face it, how many chances do you get if you're playing game 13 and all you have to do is win the game to be in the playoffs? That's a lot of pressure. And um, we'll see if they're ready for it. But I know this, we we relish the role of underdog. Um, and and here, here's really what it boils down to. One of the things I was saying to all the guys I saw today, simple advice, keep finding ways to win. You know, you don't have to have more yards. You don't have to have um, more long passes. Um, you don't have to dominate statistically, but you do need to find ways to win. And sometimes that's the beauty of the game. Sometimes the team that you would think deserves to win based on the the stats, they simply don't win. There are all kinds of examples of that. Uh, I deal with them all the time looking at analytics. So uh, the really good teams, you've heard me talk about it, you're a positive exception or a negative exception. Well, if you if you went on turnovers, lost the game, you're a negative exception. Um, on the other hand, if you lost on turnovers and found a way to win the game, good for you because you defied the odds. You'll find this interesting. This says so much about our team. And I, I shared this with Kirk. I said, Kirk, one week ago there were three – parameter combinations that were still 100% win. I'm talking about on the whole season. You're talking 30-something and zero, you know, unbeaten. There were three parameters left out of 105 combinations. Imagine all those 15 parameters, figuring up all the combinations involving those 15 parameters. There's 105 of them. And I've been charting all these the entire season. And after last week's games, there were still three that were 100%. Okay, I should say before we played Nebraska, there were three that were still 100%. Now there are none. You know why there are none? Because we uh, defied the odds and beat Nebraska even though they won those parameter combinations. Think about that. Three of them. Uh, Incidentally, Nebraska won eight parameters. We won six. So what you're telling me, Don, is if any team in the Big Ten is going to overcome every odd, it's going to be Iowa. I think so. Simple reason, it's hard to measure character. We have great character. I'm not going to – I don't doubt for a second that Michigan has a lot of great character on their team too, but I would still give us the edge on character because our coaches place a huge priority on character. If you're going to beat Iowa, you're going to have to kill them to do it. That's how how seriously we take our game. Well, Don, it's been a privilege having you on this podcast, this show this week. Um, Where are your seats for the game on Saturday? I don't know, but I do know I'm going to be surrounded by Iowa fans, and that's really all I care about. Well, make it loud. Um, we're, we're going to be loud here in Iowa and uh, should be a, a raucous environment as it was in 2015. Uh, again, thank you for jumping on with us. And, of course, for anybody that doesn't know, we'll be on. Um, Don will check in with us, Iowa post game with the Voice of College Football after the game, and then we'll be on for a special edition of Iowa Live Sunday night at 7, hopefully talking about an Iowa win, and we'll know where Iowa's playing in the postseason. So we'll yeah, talk about all that. In Pasadena, right? At the when very least, I, I think at it would the very at the very least. least. At the very least, I think we're going. I think we're going to the Rose Bowl. You win on Saturday. So Don, seven o'clock for anybody that doesn't know already, and uh, if you don't know already, where have you been? Iowa versus Michigan, Big Ten Championship game Saturday, seven p.m. Central Time. It'll be televised on Fox, uh, of course, Lucas Oil Stadium in Indy. Thanks, Don. We'll talk to you on Saturday. Corey, here's a three-word rally cry for this game. Find a way, meaning find a way to win. We're pretty good at that. Let's see us do it one more time. One more time, and again, perhaps the biggest win of Kirk Ferentz's career. Thank you for joining us for week 183 
of Brada's branded thoughts here at From the Hawkeye of the Storm Big Ten title game coming up Saturday night at 7. We'll talk to you soon.